Well, good morning. It's me, Jason. In case you didn't know. Hey, I'm the, I'm the associate pastor here at the mission, if you're new. And uh, my, I think my actual title is uh, the creative arts pastor, which means um, you know anything creative, most of what's creative gets filtered through me here at the mission. And so if you like it, great. If you don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. So, anyways, um, so I'm I'm the creative arts here at the mission and pastor at the mission, and um, I'm so excited to be speaking with you this morning. I feel like God's laid this message on my heart, and it began. He began to lay this message on my heart months ago, um, and uh, we're taking a break from our current sermon series, stuck in a moment, and uh, we're going to continue on in that next week. We're going to resume that next week but uh, with Pastor Chris and that's going to be great so you're not going to want to miss that but this morning I'd like to share with you I'd just like to begin by sharing with you a story um, that happened to me many years ago actually now it's been a while um, I keep telling this story and and uh, it's been a few years now but uh, I'm, I'm a worship leader um, in my heart and in my profession and I just there's nothing I love doing more than worship leading it just completes me in a way and um and so I, I had there was a point in my life where I had the privilege of going around to different camps um and being the worship leader for the camp and sometimes I got to be the speaker too and and so I had the privilege of serving at many camps um and there's one particular camp that sticks out in my mind um it was a family camp when we were serving in the Free Methodist denomination um, back several years ago, and, and it was a family camp at the Oakland Christian Conference Center. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> yeah, right. So I, I love Oakland. Oakland's gorgeous, you know. And uh, I, I had done this camp at the Oakland Christian Conference Center for many years, and uh, knew the people running the campground, knew a lot of the staff, knew a lot of the return campers, the campers that came back year after year, and that was just so fun. Um, and I just loved it, and so I was really looking forward to uh, doing this camp, you know. And, and so uh, I, I lived in Crestline at the time, which is about an hour and a half away from from Oakland. And um, so I drove to the campground, and I started unloading the gear, you know, the music gear. That's the part about worship leading nobody tells you about when you sign on is that <laughs> you haul you haul the gear too. And uh, so. Um, so I was setting up all the gear, and it was a particularly hot summer that year, and, and even Oak Glen was really warm in the places that we were having the services. Um, it was a chapel that didn't have any AC at all, and so we're, I'm loading in the stuff, and I'm just pouring sweat, you know, and I'm, and I'm sound checking, and I'm just like, you know, because I'm a sweater, so... <laughs> I was I was just pouring sweat and so finally got a couple hours later finally got done calling in all the gear you know got sound checked everything was working good so I decided to take a break before dinner and go back to my cabin and get cleaned up because I was like gross you know <laughs> and so anyway so I don't know what happened at this point this there was a miracle of all miracles I'm walking back to my cabin and all of a sudden my phone starts beeping and I look and I have some reception. Like, I don't know what it's like in Oakland nowadays, but, but like back then when this camp was going on, that place was a dead zone. Like you had to go way down the hill to get any phone reception. And so like I would go to this camp and, and you know, I'd have to go down the hill to answer my messages, but all of a sudden like 
my phone started beeping and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I better not move, you know, like pull up the antenna because it was a flip phone at the time, and, you know, like, like so I... So I, so I have the phone and I have like five messages and so I'm standing real still, I'm not moving, you know, like I'm crouched in this, pl- like that's going to help anything, you know, like, and so, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going through my messages and the first one went like this. It was my wife, Kim. Hi, Kim. Um, and I won't make you stand up. Um, cause I'll pay for that later if I do. So, um, but it, my, fr- the first one was Kim and she said, Hey honey, I'm leaving work. Uh, I just wanted to see how setup for family camp is going. Like, I wanted to check in on you, see how it's going, and I'm getting ready to go home. So I'll talk to you later. Love you, bye. And and that was it, you know. And so I go through the other messages. I'm like, oh, how sweet, you know. I go through the other messages that are just normal friend and work messages or whatever. Then I get to the last message, and the last message is my wife again, but it's very different than the first message. It's like the opposite of the first message, and it goes. It, it was like. You know, I could hear the fear in her voice. And the message went something like this. Jason, I just pulled in the garage and I hear people walking around in our house. Somebody's in our house. Somebody is in our house. And then wouldn't you know it, what happens? Cell phone reception goes away, right? As things have it, right? And, and so, like, I just begin to feel this thing well up inside of me, like, oh, my word. Is my wife, like, in serious danger right now? Like, I can't call her now that the reception is gone. You know, um, she's in Crestline, so reception is spot, spotty in Crestline anyways. And so, like, I just begin to panic, you know, and, because at this point, like, here's something you need to know about my wife is my wife is like a strong, independent woman like she's the epitome of like uh, I am woman woman you know like and believe me I heard her roar many times you know like she's like a strong independent woman so when she's fearful I know that it's serious and so I just began to freak out because not only was my potentially my wife in danger but she was about eight weeks away from having our first son Dylan so she was like big time pregnant, you know, and eight, our, our son Dylan is now eight and we have another son, Owen, who's five and we love him so much. But the, at this time, Owen, I mean, Dylan was still in Kim's belly. And so not only was my wife in danger, but my firstborn son was in danger who I hadn't met yet. And so I just began to like lose it, you know, like I'm just like, okay, I have to get in my car, drive until I see her face, see, basically, you know, and, and so I got in the car, I jumped in the car, and I started taking off for home, and, you know, I don't know what happened, I, I, I really, to this day, I don't know, my wife says, actually, that I'm a grandma driver, um, but I don't know if it was the spirit of Ricky Bobby, or if it was like, you know, Lightning McQueen, or if it was Dale Earnhardt Jr., I mean, you could have called me Maverick, because I'm flying down these hills like Top Gun, you know what I'm saying? Like, I am going so fast down these hills, and like, part of them are gravel, and so I'm like skidding a little bit, you know, like Dukes of Hazard, you know, and so I'm going as fast as I possibly can down these hills to get to my wife, and so everything's going good, I'm on my way to her, until... I hit the freeway, 
And I look at the clock. I had no idea what time it was. It's five o'clock. Freeway is a parking lot. Stand still, right? And so I'm just like, oh my gosh. So like, at this point, I can't get a hold of my wife because she's in Crestline. I'm down the hill now, so I have reception, but she's in Crestline and her reception is spotty. So I still can't get a hold of her, even though I'm down the hill. And I'm stuck in this traffic. I am no longer moving forward to get to my wife. I am stuck. And I just began to grip that steering wheel. <laughs> like, like I just began to grip and twist. And I just began to feel like all the things that possibly could be going on. Just ping pong all over my brain. You know, off ricochet off of each other. And just like... It became very clear at that moment that I had two choices. I had choice A. I could drive on the, on the berm of the road. I could drive through the grass in between the freeway. I could honk my horn and scream and cause a scene, you know. And after they, you know, took me to prison or whatever, you know, <laughs> like I would eventually see my wife. Or I could go with choice B. And choice B was very different than that first choice. Choice A was what I wanted to do, but in the moment, choice B was to take a deep breath, put all my hope and faith in God, and remember that God in His nature is good. And so, the Lord brought to my mind at that moment an old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, it's a beautiful song. We sing it sometimes here at church. And, and I began to think about the author of that song, It Is Well With My Soul, and how he lost four daughters before he wrote that song. Like that song is the result of a shipwreck where he lost his four daughters. I mean, this guy lost his whole world. He was grieving and he was upset, and he was emotional, and nobody would fault him for being that way, but he didn't question God. He knew God was good, and that God was preparing him and had things in store for him that he didn't understand. So I just began to sing that song out in my car. As loud as my lungs would let me, I'm sure I looked like an idiot <laughs> to other people driving by, but I just began to sing that song out in the car. And when peace... Like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to know It is well, it is well with my soul And I just began to sing that out as loud as my lungs would let me in the car And I just began to offer up my family to God and in, in that moment, I didn't feel anxious. A peace fell in that car beyond my earthly understanding. God came and just met me in that car, and I just knew everything was going to be okay. And that was not an easy moment for me. That was a life-defining moment, actually. That was like a character-defining moment. And our character is what we're going to talk about today. Because character counts. It counts for a lot. Jesus spoke many times about character, good and bad. You know, obviously, he, Jesus spoke about the Pharisees many times, and, and sometimes it was about their poor character. And, you know, he also gave insight into what good character looks like. 
So today we're going to take an inward glance. We're going to take stock of our character. We're going to find out where we are with our character. And you know what? If the day, if the sermon ends and we've taken stock and we don't like what we see, I believe Jesus gives us the answer to get to the, get to a place of good character. And you can't get to where you want to go unless you find out where you currently are. You can't wrap, you can't route yourself in Google Maps where you want to go until you choose current location, right? So we're going to find out today, we're going to talk about where we are personally with our character. And so uh, the first thing you need to know and understand about character, and it's our take-home truth this morning, character is not what you do. It's who you are. It's not what you do. It's who you are. Now, you're probably thinking at this point, like, you're probably thinking like, oh man, this sounds like a heavy message. Like, oh man, this is, this is serious. Like, we're going to take stock. Like, okay, music boy, like, why, um, why isn't Pastor Chris, you know, speaking about character? It sounds like something a senior pastor should really handle. So, well, we met as a staff. You know, we discussed it and we met as an elder board and we just decided that Pastor Chris had used one too many poop jokes in his message to talk about character. So, um, so we just, you know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're going to look, we're going to move on now and find out what Jesus talks about character. So, um, we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. So, uh, if you would t- go ahead and turn there, Luke chapter 6. 43 through 45. Now, these are only two verses, but I'm telling you guys, these are power-packed verses. These verses, they pack a punch. And if we let them simmer in our hearts and really take them in, I believe they can be life-changing. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word? Alright, Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Okay, you may be seated. What Jesus is saying there is that what's on the inside, what's on the inside counts. Because what's on the inside makes up our character, and character, it counts. I think Jesus is describing a character concept called the iceberg. And uh, that might have been a curveball for you. You weren't expecting to learn about icebergs today. Uh, Well, surprise. (laughs) Um, There's a character concept that is called the iceberg concept. And so so here we have an iceberg. You guys ready to learn some random facts about icebergs? Okay, just stick with me on this. I promise I'm going somewhere, okay? <laughs> All right. Just your average iceberg, I mean, just Joe Schmo iceberg, just right, not the big daddy, not the granddaddy, not the smallest one, just your average iceberg weighs between 200,000 and 400,000 pounds. 200,000 and 400,000 pounds. 
now this is just the average iceberg. Icebergs size, just your average Joe Schmo iceberg is roughly the same height as a 15-story building. 15-story building. And guys, that's not even the cool part about icebergs. The cool, dang. the cool part about icebergs is that what we see below the surface, or above the surface, James, can you put that first iceberg picture up? What we see above the water here, that's only 10% of the iceberg's body mass. 10%. That's just literally the tip. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha, right, of the iceberg. So, so if that's just the 10% of the body's mass, then the other 90% is below the surface. James, can you put that other... Sur- that's, that's what it looks like below the surface. 90% of the iceberg's mass is below the surface. And it's what's below the surface that sinks the ships. And we can't talk about icebergs and sinking ships, you know, without remembering the Titanic. And you probably, you know, you probably learned about the Titanic. Yeah, oh yeah, hey, awesome. Leo's young there. Um, he's the king of the world. Um, you, you probably... You probably learned about Titanic in school. You probably maybe saw the movie. You know, I heard they're actually setting this up for re-release and they recast. Would you like to see the new cast poster? Okay, go ahead, James. Here we go. Um, what? <laughs> poor, poor Chris. Poor Chris. <laughs> But, okay, so, okay, take that away, that's scary. Um, but the truth about the Titanic is that they had, they had plenty of time to turn around and steer out of the icebergs, the, the bad weather. Um, they had five warnings, five, five warnings, five separate times somebody wired them and said, hey, bad weather ahead, icebergs ahead. You want to think about turning around. You are in danger. Five times. And on the sixth warning, they did the same thing. Sixth warning. And the Titanic finally wired back and said, Shut up. We're busy. Can you believe the arrogance of that? These people are trying to warn them. And they wire back that arrogant message. And and it was like 30 minutes roughly later after that sixth warning on April 14th, 1912, that the captain, the boat whose captain said, not even God can sink this boat. That boat was sinking. And hundreds of people drowned. They forgot the truth about icebergs. They underestimated the iceberg and overestimated their own strength. They forgot that it's what's below the surface that counts. So I think this is a great picture for us today. So much of who we are comes from who we are on the inside. It comes from what's below the surface. It comes from our character. And character, just really crudely described, is... Our character is who we are when no one's watching. Our character is who we are when no one's watching. Because the person you are on the inside forms the person you are on the outside. 
And there are several things that make up our character, and we're going to go through them. Um, these are things that make up who we are on the inside, which in turn make up our character. So we're going to list these things and just go through them a bit. But the first thing that makes up our character is our self-discipline. Our self-discipline, the ability to do what's right even when we don't feel like it. The ability to do what's right even when we don't feel like it. Let me be honest with you guys. I'm going to be real for a second. I stink at self-discipline. Like, I... Um, I had this thing in my life where I had a struggle over self-discipline. Like, I drank so much Diet Coke my whole life. And I had this struggle with, di- with Diet Coke specifically. Not, any, not really any other soda, but Diet I, I grew up in a house that was really heavy soda drinkers. And, that's, and we just drank it like it was water. And I didn't really know anything else. But when I got older, I was like man, normal people don't do this. Like, this is weird. You know, like, normal people don't drink 47 Diet Cokes in the same day. You know, like, um, you know, like, whoa. And then, like, you know, there was, my wife was talking to me about the health concerns, you know, and then, you know, then eventually there was the cost concerns, you know, because, like, my wife's like, hey, we're not, we don't have a money tree. Like, you know, I mean, we can recycle, but come on, like, you know, and, and so I really had to look at it. I actually tried to give it up several times. And every time I would give it up for a period of time. And then I would pick it right back up again down the road. And I would be like, oh, I'll just have one. You know, just one Diet Coke. And I'd drink it and I'd be like, oh, that doesn't taste very good. And uh, I better make sure I got a good one, you know. And so I... I, I so I would drink a second one, you know, and and then the next thing you know, I'm out on the yard and cans are all, you know, you know, all over the yard, you know. And I just had no ability to to discipline myself when it came to this thing. And so I had to approach it in the way that an alcoholic would approach. I just came to the decision that I had to approach giving it up in the way that an alcoholic would approach giving up alcohol. It's just I had to give it up completely. I, I, I could not trust myself to be disciplined with this thing, so I just had to give it up. It's not the worst thing to be, you know, to be addicted to in your life, but it certainly wasn't healthy. And so I had to do what was right for my life and for my family. Even when I didn't feel like it, even when it was hard, you know, and so I had to practice self-discipline in that way. And so that's, that's the first thing that makes up our character. I had to grow in self-discipline, self-control. Second thing that we're going to speak about that makes up our character is our core values. Core values. Principles that you live by that enable you to take a moral stand. Core values. Principles you live by that enable you to take a moral stand. See, we as Christians have many core values. Um, A core value, the best way I can think of to describe a core value is it's like a line in the sand. You just draw that line in the sand and you're like, I'm not going to cross that line. It costs too much. It compromises who I am. This line in the sand, I will not cross it. Let's say you have a core value of truth. You know, we as Christians, we, we believe in being truthful, speaking the truth in love, and we believe in truth, you know, living in the truth. And so if you draw that line in the sand and make truth a core value, maybe there's some side effects to that that you didn't totally think through. Maybe 
you know, if you have a core value of truth, maybe you don't let some things slide in your household that other people think is normal, that they'll just let slide. You know, maybe you won't get ahead at work as quickly as you would if you just kind of fudged the numbers a little bit. You know, and but you have this core value of truth, and so you are not willing to cross it, so it may take you a little longer to get ahead at work. You know, or maybe it's just owning up to some mistakes that you've made, you know, um, instead of passing the buck and blaming somebody else. My, my great friend and hero, Tom Lance, he has this amazing saying that he says all the time at his church, and he says, all the truth, all the time. Oh, some of you have heard it. All the truth, all the time. Tom has developed this core value of truth. And he says, you know what? Even when it's hard, even when it's a little awkward, all the truth, all the time, they have a core value of truth. And a core value can be many, many things, but it's a line in the sand that you are not willing to cross. That's a core value. The third thing that makes up our character is our sense of identity. Our sense of identity, a realistic self-image based on who God made you to be. Sense of identity. And sense of identity took me a while to figure out. I, from, from the moment I saw Elvis in Jailhouse Rock as a little boy, I was like, I want to be in a rock band. Like, that guy's the coolest guy ever. Like, I just, I want to be in a rock band. You know, I saw the Beatles. First time I heard Led Zeppelin, just confirmed it. You know, like... Rock band, that's it, you know, and so I got, I got a guitar, learned two chords, and I had the truth, you know, and I was going to go for it, you know, and, and so, um, so I started playing in bands, I started playing in coffee houses when those bands would break up, and, you know, <laughs> um, I started playing in bars at a really young age, and, you know, like, many, many years later, after learning those first two chords, I was in my 20s, and I wasn't any further along in being what I wanted to be, a musician or whatever, as I was when I was just starting out, you know, and and it just didn't feel right, it just felt like something was off, and so I took it to God, and just when I was 24, I remember taking it to God and just offering up this desire for music to God, and just saying, God, sincerely, if you don't want me to touch the guitar or sing another note, I won't. I will put my hope and faith in you, and I believe that if you don't want that for me, that you have something better. And I may have said it a little bit more dramatically because musicians are kind of dramatic, like, oh, I'll never touch the guitar again, you know. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I was sincere in my heart. And you know what? It wasn't a day or two later that I began to get worship leading calls. Um, to come lead worship other places and and I hadn't really worship led a whole lot at that point in my life and the the more opportunities came the more I was like oh like this is who you made me to be like I get it now like it wasn't that thing it was this thing like I never felt so comfortable in my own skin until I began to worship lead. And it all made sense. 
It all made sense why all those years in the rock bands and stuff, it didn't feel comfortable. It's because I began to find my sense of identity of who God made me to be. And once I had that sense of identity, I had to start working on the next thing. And the next thing is emotional security. This is a tough one. Emotional security. The capacity to be emotionally stable and consistent. Emotional emotional security. The capacity to be emotionally stable and consistent. Now, this is a weird this is kind of a weird one because it's so countercultural. Because we live in a culture that says it's okay to let your actions be dictated by your emotions. You guys see that? We live in a culture that says it's okay to let your actions be dictated by your, your emotions. Like we say it all the time. We say things like, uh, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I was really angry. Or, I know I shouldn't have said that, but that guy, he just makes me mad. He's such a jerk. You know, like, we live in this culture that says it's okay to let your actions be dictated by your emotions. When I was stuck in traffic trying to get to my wife... You know, if I had gone with choice A, which was to cause a scene, you know, probably once people found out why I was causing a scene, they would have understood. But because my sense of identity was secure in Christ, I was able to choose to be emotionally secure. And I don't mean to sound like I have it all figured out, because I certainly do not have it all figured out by any means. Like... I'm tested every day, just like you guys are. And these things are not something that you can just check off a list. It takes daily work. It takes daily choices. But it's just an example in my own life of where my sense of identity impacted my emotional security. So, how much time do we spend on these things, do you think? These four things in our own life. Um, How many times do we... deny ourselves to practice self-discipline? How many times do we draw that line in the sand and say truth no matter what? Because it's a core value. How many times do we let our sense of identity impact our emotional security? If I had to guess, I would guess, you know, for me, I'll just speak for myself, it's probably very little, you know, it's probably opposite of the iceberg. Like I work on 90% here and 10% here. Like we work 90% on what people can see a lot of times and 10% on the inside. And, and beginning to work on these things is a difficult thing, but once you begin to work on them, I believe that all of them begin to bloom. See, Jesus is the perfect example of the iceberg. He's the perfect example. You want to know why? Because he spent 90% of his life on this earth in preparation for the 10% that was his ministry. Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30. He spent 90% of his life in preparation for the time that was his ministry. Let's read that verse again. You don't have to stand this time. Let's just let me just read it. Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. 
A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus says it three times right there. He says, each tree is known by what it produces. By what it produces. And if we had a farmer up here, like if I brought up a farmer and he said, hey guys, you know, I just plowed my fields. I'm going to lay down some nice wheat and we're going to, you know, like I'm going to just plant some wheat and I'm really looking forward to the fall. Man, I hope it becomes corn. Like, man, I planted wheat, but well, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what it is. Maybe it'll be bubblegum. You know, like we would laugh at that farmer, right? That farm, we'd be like, dude, you are nuts. If you plant wheat, you're going to get wheat, you know? But the funny thing is, is we would laugh at that guy, but so many times in our own lives, we plant things in our hearts and mind and then don't expect them to see don't expect to see them in our lives. You know, we're like, oh man, where did that come from? You know, like if you if you plant lust in your heart, you're gonna see lust in your life. If you plant greed and love of money in your heart and mind, you're gonna see that in your life. What you plant in private, you will produce in public. What you plant, what we plant in our lives, we will harvest. There's tons and tons and tons of examples of this. And, you know, in the 80s, there were all these TV evangelists that fell. You know, in the 90s, there were these politicians that, you know, including our president, whose character was called into question in 2000 and beyond, like, don't even get me started about all the athletes that are being called into court for questionable character. See, my theory is that skill will get you places. You can go places with skill. There's no doubt that God gives us skill. Skill may take you places, but no matter what, at one point or another, your character will be revealed. Who you are on the inside, who you actually are, will come out. Skill can take you places, but your character will be revealed. There's something about times of pressure that will reveal who you are on the inside very quickly. And it'll, for lack of a better term, kind of separate the men from the boys or the women from the girls. That doesn't work as well. But um, So I was sitting in my car trying to get home to my wife. I wasn't able to reach her. And finally, finally, we both got some reception. I was still stuck in traffic. We both got some reception. I was able to get in touch with her. You know, what had happened was she pulled into the garage. She heard people walking around. I found out later that she went to touch the doorknob and the doorknob moved a little bit. And so she she ran, got herself in her car, locked herself in the car, drove a few blocks away and called the police. Someone had used a rock to break our kitchen window and they removed um, a lot of the pieces of glass and they there was three or four three I think three of them they got in the house and and right they got in the house right as about the time Kim was coming home and so they didn't so they split immediately when they heard her and saw that she was home and 
They didn't get anything, but we had when we got back to the house, we had this broken window, and like we had just had this overwhelming sense of being like violated, like our safe place, this place who was kind of out of the city and secluded, like it was violated, and and you know um, we were just bummed out. We had this broken window, and so like I just had the overwhelming sense of just being just upset, you know? And so I'm boarding up this window, and it's really late. It's like 10.30 at night now by the time everything's all taken care of and the police have left and all that kind of stuff. It's really late. Um, I'm boarding up this window, and it's the last nail that I got a nail in, and it was at a funny angle. At least that's what I'm going with. And... Um, and so I go to hit this last nail in, and it goes. The, I, I hit it weird, and the nail goes flying, spins around, hits me in the eyeball, and flicks off my face and goes to the ground. And for me, honestly, I know that sounds silly. It sounds silly, but like that was it. I was done. <laughs> you know, no more serenity now. Choice B. Like I'm going with choice A. I'm gonna stink and throw the hammer and scream and kick and and punch the boards and whatever. You know. And so I go to do that. Like my my like immediate reaction. And this from here on out, it kind of happened in slow motion. But I lift my arm to just throw the hammer in this dirt pile we had, and I see my wife out of the corner of my eye. And she come out on the porch, and she's carrying our our baby boy who's about to be born in eight weeks and I just raised up my hand like this to to throw the hammer and she's over here and I all of a sudden had about a million thoughts in a half a second and I just thought God I don't want to be this guy I don't want to be this guy I don't want to be this guy who is kicking and screaming at every little thing and at every turn shows his lack of character. I don't want to be that guy and I don't want my son to grow up with that guy as a father. So in the moment, I just kind of, I probably looked silly, but I kind of had my hand up in the air, you know, and all those thoughts happened, you know, in in like a half a second. And so I just kind of dropped my arm like this and... And uh, put the hammer down and uh, turned to Kim and kind of took a deep breath. And I said to her, I said, if I ever find the guy who did this, if I ever find the guy who did this, I'm going to have him teach me how to hammer because he probably knows. (laughs) And you know what, guys, in that moment, we just began to laugh, you know, And the Lord's peace came. And everything wasn't so bad. You know, we were able to laugh about it a little bit. And we just felt the peace of the Lord on the situation. And uh, we were able to move on. So in conclusion here, I want to reiterate, guys, that I don't have this stuff down. It's not, I'm not presenting to you a list of things that I have checked off in my life. You know, I... It takes daily work. These things, working on these things, developing our character, it takes daily work, daily choices. It, it takes work to exercise self-discipline. We have to choose daily to hold true to our core values. We have to choose daily 
to operate out of our sense of identity, the identity that Christ made us to be. It's a daily choice to be emotionally secure and let God be God and just trust Him. I'm working on my 90%. I'm working on my 90% so that the 10% of me that people can see just radiates Jesus. Just radiates the Father. And I encourage you to do the same because the good news about icebergs is that the 90% underneath the firm, strong foundation supports the 10% that people can see. Would you bow your heads? Now, I don't, I don't know where you're at with this message today. Maybe you just had a couple of laughs and, 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 and feel good about it, and that's great. I'm really happy for you. Um, but if you felt convicted by this message at all, if you, if you felt like, man, I really need to begin a process of working on some of these things, and I want to hand it over to God this morning. Now, I, I don't want to make a big deal about it or anything. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. But if, if you're feeling like you want to pray with someone, please don't hesitate. If you want to pray with someone, come to the front row or come here up, up to the front in the stage and people will pray with you. If you don't feel comfortable with that, grab the hand of the person you came with or your friend and say, let's pray. Will you pray with me? We're going to leave just a moment here for a response time, for prayer. And then after which we're going to close out our service. But I just really felt like we needed some time this morning to respond. So... If you feel led, just go ahead and grab your friend or come up to the front and people will pray with you.